Welcome to Spirit in Action. My name is Mark Helpsmeet, and each week we bring you visits and conversations with people doing healing work for this world, hearing what they're doing and what inspires them and supports them in doing it. Welcome to Spirit in Action. Today we're welcoming back the makers of Bible Bash, Don Durham and Liam Hooper, with recognition for the co-founder of the Bible Bash podcast, Peterson Toscano. Don and Liam are sitting in for me as hosts this week as I do my yearly pilgrimage to the Friends General Conference gathering, so I'll start out with a thanks to them for freeing me up. Don and Liam will introduce themselves later, but I want to explain a bit about who they are so you have some idea of what's coming. They both live in North Carolina, for one thing. Liam is a trans man whose spiritual journey has led him to convert to Judaism, and Don is an itinerant preacher, a farmer who gives his food away, and he's got an absolutely awesome beard. Liam and Don live outside of the expectations and thought limitations of our society. And they are presenting you portions of two episodes of Bible Bash for today's Spirit in Action. Though they are not actually bashing the Bible, they are taking us for a ride through Bible and Spirit that will likely bash expectations fostered by conventional religious folks. Perhaps you've heard two quotes from Gandhi, I like your Christ, but not your Christianity, and I'd be a Christian if it were not for the Christians. I don't want to put words in Don and Liam's mouths, but I think they are kind of on the same alternate thought path as Gandhi, diving deep into the Bible, but swimming in waters conventional folks seldom touch. A lot of us are put off by many aspects of Christianity and religious doctrine, even if there are some good folks and gems in the mix. Don and Liam are all about the gems and easily throw out the parts that many of us recoil from, and they do it with insight, scholarship, and deep reservoirs of love. Bible Bash is a dialogue between Don Durham and Liam Hooper, which we have the privilege of sitting in on. Hopefully, you'll find something here that empowers you to be better world healer than ever before. They'll both do intros later, but right now, we'll start out with Don leading us into Bible Bash. Well, let's jump in. Isaiah is one of my favorite texts for a reason. Although, if you recall, back when I first first chose this text, I was actually responding to a request from a family member of mine who wanted to hear some conversation, particularly between you and me, about this text. I want to look at Isaiah 56, verses 1 through 8. Uh, I hear pages turning. Thus says the Lord, maintain justice and do what is right. For soon my salvation will come and my deliverance be revealed. Happy is the mortal who does this. The one who holds it fast, who keeps the Sabbath, not profaning it, and refrains from doing any evil. Do not let the foreigner join to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And do not let the eunuch say, I'm just a dry tree, for thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. And the foreigners who join themselves to the Lord 
to minister to him to love the name of the Lord and to be his servants, all who keep the Sabbath and do not profane it, and hold fast in my covenant, these I will bring to my holy mountain and make them joyful in my house of prayer. Their burnt offerings and their sacrifices will be accepted on my altar. For my house shall be called a house of prayer for all people. Thus says the Lord God, who gathers the outcasts of Israel. I will gather others to them besides those already gathered. I think the best way to understand this text, which is important to understand to me because, as you know, it was one of Jesus' favorite texts. So for me, as somebody who tries to figure out what Jesus was about, and therefore how better to follow, if Jesus has a favorite prophet, I want to pay attention. I kind of want to figure out what's going on with that. So as I've paid attention to Isaiah, of course, can't talk about Isaiah without looking at it in three pieces. And as you know, most of the scholars who talk about Isaiah break it up. The first section is the actual interactions of the prophet Isaiah with the four kings and the kingdoms that he dealt with. Again, we could follow a rabbit trail all the way into next week, giving examples of those interactions. My overly simplistic summary of them is that basically Isaiah said to the kings, if you want your kingdoms to thrive, you need to pay attention to the folks who are least able to speak for or care for themselves, the voiceless, the powerless. And lo and behold, that message didn't really get through. And then historically, those kingdoms fell. And then the second section of Isaiah is a different body of literature that comes from the population that had been carried off from the fallen kingdoms into Babylonian captivity and had time to reflect. Again, my oversimplification, the basic tenor of that second section of Isaiah is, oh my, don't we wish we had listened to Isaiah you know, wow, <laughs> what would it have been like if we had just listened to Isaiah? Wouldn't that have been cool? <laughs> Instead of sitting here as captives in Babylon. Well, there's also a, total, a really different tone, as you know, not just in the voice of the people in that second section, but also in the voice of God. There's a very healing, reconciling, comforting kind of tone. It's like, okay, yeah, you screwed up. Let's work it out. Let's figure out how to go forward. And that's that second section of Isaiah. Then, when you get to the third section of Isaiah, it's not half as long as either of the other two sections. It's really short, concise, to the point. I am persuaded by the scholars who view that third section as a really different kind of literature from the first two sections of Isaiah. In that third section, I think our best modern-day comparison, now stick with me on this, I think it's the Federalist Papers. Not because of the content or the worldview or the politics, but yeah, yeah what kind of reaction do you have to that? Not the content, the purpose, yeah. But think about it. 
by the time Jesus walks on the stage, we're a handful of centuries. I'm not going to try to put a precise date on it, but we're at least a couple centuries past the end of Babylonian exile, when the community has by and large returned to Jerusalem. The content of that third section of Isaiah is produced then by the followers of the Isaiah tradition as the captives have returned to Jerusalem and the community is facing the question, how do we rebuild our city? Where do we start? What's our priority? Uh, What is the greatest challenge that we have to accomplish to be our best version of ourselves as we rebuild the city of God? That's a monumental challenge. It is. So anytime people get together to accomplish a monumental challenge, there are usually multiple opinions about how it ought to be done, what the priorities ought to be, where we ought to get started. And you can see those competing voices among different parts of the community as Jerusalem was being rebuilt after Babylonian exile. You've got some voices who are really intent on rebuilding the temple as a first priority. Yeah, we'll do all the other stuff, but we really, you know, think about it. Not everybody left during Babylonian exile. There were some people still, of course, in Jerusalem, and they had to walk by the ruins of this destroyed temple every day. And this had been the place that symbolized the very presence of God. And just think about how that would grate on you day by day. You would really want that temple rebuilt. But then you've also got this pocket of the community that spent Babylonian exile reflecting on how much they wish they had paid attention to Isaiah. And now that we have an opportunity to rebuild our city, we really ought to pay attention to Isaiah. And our first priority maybe shouldn't be the buildings and structures that symbolize the presence of God. Maybe we should model out the suffering servant kind of leadership that Isaiah called us to and let that be our first priority to make sure that whatever rebuilding we do here reflects taking care of those who are least able to speak for or take care of themselves, making sure their voices are heard and their needs are met. Yes, that's that's how we get to that thing. Yes. Yeah, the holy city. This is more like a political party almost, because you're having a civic conversation about who are we going to be as we rebuild our city. And I think the third section of Isaiah is sort of the the political persuasion pamphlets, if you will, or the protest songs or the demonstration chants of this activist Isaiah party that is advocating for a particular point of view and a particular set of priorities in the rebuilding of Jerusalem. The reason I think that the Federalist Papers are a, are a good analogy for how we could understand Jesus's use of the third section of Isaiah is because for us, those things are a couple hundred years old. Most of us kind of know what the Federalist Papers are, But how many people do you know who can actually quote one or actually know what topic is associated? I like, I don't. I mean, I I don't pretend to have that. But we're familiar with them. 
and we understand that they're political, and we have some vague notion of the kind of politics that they embody, and that's probably about how familiar the community was with this obscure collection of Isaiah persuasion points, the talking points of the Isaiah party, that really honestly kind of lost out a couple hundred years earlier as Jerusalem was being rebuilt. The temple did end up being prioritized, and by the time Jesus comes along, he still, for whatever reason, feels like one of the most important conversations he can try to get the community to have is a conversation inspired by Isaiah's idea of the suffering servant and paying attention to the outcast, to the powerless, to the excluded. We can't mistake that these are political documents once we look at them in their context. And that has implications, I think, for how we read them today. And so, of course, that gets us to that third section of Isaiah. In the first section of Isaiah, it takes, Liam, what, three or four chapters just to do the setup at the beginning before Isaiah even really starts having conversations with the kings and telling them what he think the Lord has said. And by the time you get to that last section of Isaiah, the intro is just collapsed down into a sentence. And it's basically, okay, look, do what's right. I mean, that's the basic setup for, for the last part of Isaiah. But yeah. then, then it jumps straight to examples. Yes. And you get the Isaiah tradition saying, okay, you want some examples of what it looks like to just do the right thing, to be just and do the right thing? Tell you what, let's start here. Let's talk about immigrants and eunuchs. Let's, let's talk about how you relate to immigrants and eunuchs. That's our best starting place to illustrate what it would look like if we made civic decisions from an Isaiah frame of reference. Yeah, indeed. So if we're going to make civic decisions from an Isaiah frame of reference, which is the conversation Jesus was trying to get people to have, let's let our community reflect the Isaiah priorities of making sure the voiceless have a way for their voices to be heard, that those unable to care for themselves have a way to have their needs met. Let's make sure those things get prioritized. And I tell you what, let's start with immigrants and eunuchs. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to just go ahead and bring them in and put them up at the head table right up front and just go ahead and start with celebrating who they are and that we're glad that they're here. And then if we start by paying attention to them, everybody else that has already been okay and has resources and connections and the ability to take care of themselves and their voices aren't oppressed and they're all still going to be okay. It's probably not lost on anybody that in our modern conversations, our current day conversations, when eunuchs are spoken of in the scripture, it's often taken as or used as a stand-in for conversations about gender nonconforming experience in modern day. It's a loose analogy, but it gets used frequently. I, how would you characterize that? Yeah. You know, my people... <laughs> That being, um, gender expansive people of all yes. shapes and sizes and, and types and iterations and glorious expressions claim this concept of, of eunuch as, as something that represents those who are not exclusively masculine, which is the default in the dominant culture. 
and those who were not exclusively feminine in the cultural understanding of those two things, right? So I think that's true. But it's also true that queer folks in general have attached to the discussions of eunuchs. You can't escape the fact that eunuch, even then, it's, it's one of the things that Christendom loses, I think, in translation is the fact that eunuch was sort of antiquity slang for a recognition of a whole group of people. Lots and lots of people, people we would now recognize as intersex, people we would recognize as trans, people we would in- recognize as asexual and celibate and agender and people we might recognize as queer or LGB somewhere in that spectrum. It applied equally to all those people, and you sort of had to tease that out by context, right? One thing that makes Isaiah 56 so spectacular is that these people who are other-bodied, other-expressive, are also spoken about at the same time as we speak about foreigners people we already think we're not supposed to let in. But so what strikes me about your reading of this is that it gets to the point of the whole chapter, which is real clear in, what is it, verse 7, I think, where, according to Isaiah, to the prophet, God is saying, for my house will be called a house of prayer for all the peoples. Ki beti beit filah yikarei lachohalamin. My house will be a house of prayer for all the right. people. Yeah. All yeah, of them. So I take everywhere. Forever and ever I'm in. Yeah. And especially, especially the people who, exactly. by the dominant culture, we're called to be separate from, set apart from, are considered less than and unimportant and extraneous, if not erasable, right? Like people we can just eradicate and get rid of. And even actively excluded in some. Yes. Yes. You can exclude them because they're erasable. They can be got rid of. Yeah. We don't need them. Exactly. Exactly. So it wasn't surprising to me when my relative wanted to hear more conversation about, okay, so what does it mean when Isaiah talks about eunuchs or immigrants or, you know, how, how does that fit into our current day conversation. And to me, it's just not a complicated leap. It's pretty obvious. We've got the same kinds of relatively casual tendency to exclude people, sometimes consciously active and strategically focused, sometimes just habitual, but still a tendency to exclude. And so... It's not insignificant for someone to come along and rattle the cages from time to time and say, okay, look, people, just do what's right. Quit trying to keep people out because of their sexuality or because they're not born here or whatever reasons you've made up for why you're better than them and why you deserve to be ahead of them in line. Get over yourselves. Do the right thing. Let me give you an example. And then Isaiah goes on to say, tell you what we're going to do. We're going to bring the eunuchs and the immigrants right up here to the head table and Sooner or later, you're going to start to figure out they have just as much place here as you do. But this is how we're going to demonstrate it. We're going to go out of our way. 
And then we're going to fall back to widows and orphans, and right? Like, so I just had this thought that you could summarize. Exactly, right, yeah. You could summarize Isaiah 56 by saying foreigners represent the people not from here, as you're saying, right? So that's about geographic location or tribe, right? Whereas eunuchs represent not like us in Tribalism, nationalism, that kind of thing. So what we're doing is taking the exiles in body and in land and bringing them in to God's house, to the house of prayer for all the people. And I think that's a marvelous message myself. Thank you for, thank you for bringing us to look at this. Finally. Yeah. And doing a fine job of it. I mean, I, I really think it's worth revisiting now and then. And of course, anyone who hears me teach or preach or talk or even chat informally about anything Bible-related for very long realizes that I don't go long without coming back to Isaiah. Most true rabble-rousers don't, right? Like, you gotta gotta uh, go to the go-tos. I think part of the challenge, part of the necessity of Isaiah is, particularly for people who claim to be followers of Jesus, if you read Jesus absent of a conscious awareness of the backdrop of Isaiah— you can sterilize Jesus and make Jesus culturally neutered, culturally empty of connection, connectability. Jesus can mean anything you want Jesus to mean without any sort of particularized expression. But not when you put Jesus in the context of Isaiah, because then all the stuff Jesus isn't saying out loud that he's merely invoking by reference here and there or by symbolic imagery it all becomes plain that you can't do Jesus stuff without actively engaging in reconciliation exactly. with excluded populations, period. You can't call it exactly if it doesn't because look like Jesus that. was a Jew for one thing, but also the perception in Christendom is that it's his unspoken stuff that Isaiah points to. But the fact is he does say it. He says it in Matthew 19. Yes. And because we have this, yes really weird tendency in Christendom, or Christendom has this tendency. By that, I mean the empire of Christianity, not individual Christians, right? Have this tendency to decide when it's convenient for Christendom, when it's convenient doctrinally to decide that things that are lumped together in the same chapter belong together for a reason that's thematic, which you and I talked about this in sort of a deep dive I did about the children, right? But that's not true. We don't have to read it that way, just because he talks about one thing a few verses above, and then a few verses later he talks about something else, doesn't mean they're linked in the way that we assume they are. And in Matthew 19, Jesus comes out and says in verse 11, not everyone can accept this word but only those to whom it has been given. For there are eunuchs who are born that way, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by others for whatever reason, right? He doesn't go into that. And then he says, and there are those who choose to live or make themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of God. He doesn't explain that either. Why? Because it's less important than the teaching itself, right? And Jesus is saying, all these people oh, that's good. Yeah. matter. And if we read the two things yeah. in tandem, then it becomes clear Jesus does speak. He got what Isaiah was saying, and that's why he keeps revisiting it. It's also why he quotes Deuteronomy. I think the disconnect happens where 
you have Jesus speaking, and even when he says it plainly, as you say, there are things he doesn't need to say out loud because his audience, they're all fluent in Isaiah, so they don't have to say it all out loud. But then communities over time throughout history inherit those texts that may not be fluent in Isaiah. So it's not as apparent to them what Jesus is plainly saying out loud, I think, unless we make a discipline. Yes, in the Hebrew text that that Jesus refers to, which is largely Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Isaiah. It's always Deuteronomy, Leviticus, and Isaiah. So if you don't read any other Hebrew text, at least read Isaiah, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus, (laughs) and not just the ones he quotes. (laughs) So thanks for that. Yeah, that's great. As for today, though, I think you also have another text for us to hear. I have this book of meditations that I used to read on a daily basis called A Year with Thomas Merton, Daily Meditations from His Journals, and they're selected and edited by Jonathan Montaldo. It's a marvelous little book. I'd show it to folks, but we're on the air, so they can't see it. Right. The reading for February 3rd, is titled The Fellowship of Stars and Crows. It's a little look into the mind of another practical mystic. Bright morning, freezing but less cold than before, and with a hint of the smell of spring earth in the cold air. A beautiful sunrise, the woods all peaceful and silent, the dried old fruits on the yellow poplar shining like precious artifacts. I have a new level in my elementary star consciousness. I can now tell where constellations may be in the daytime when they are invisible. Not many, of course. But, for example, the sun is rising in Aquarius, And so I know that in the blue sky overhead, the beautiful swan, invisible, spreads its wide wings over me. A lovely thought for some reason. Since Hayden reprimanded, I have had more esteem for the crows around here, and I find, in fact, that we seem to get on much more peacefully. Two sat high in an oak beyond my gate as I walked out on the brow of the hill at sunrise, saying the little hours. They listened without protest to my singing of the antiphons. We are part of a menage, a liturgy, a fellowship of sorts. Thank you, Liam. That was wonderful, as always. And thank you for listening. Liam and I are grateful to get to share these Bible Bash conversations with you, and we're mindful you could be doing anything else. So whether you're driving or working or working out or walking or whatever, we appreciate you taking time to listen in. And we're about to share another Bible Bash with you in just a moment. In this next episode, you'll hear Liam have a conversation about a story you may know as Balaam's uh, uh, donkey, I think. Balaam's donkey. Let's go with that. But first, I think Mark has some important things to say to you. If you'll stick around, we'll be right back after this. 
Yes, Don, I'll put in my two cents worth, then back to Bible Bash. This is Spirit in Action, and Don Durham and Liam Hooper are sitting in for me today while I'm spending the week concentrating on the FGC gathering. Our website is northernspiritradio.org, and we've got links there to Bible Bash and all kinds of other stuff Don and Liam do, and to all of the guests of the past years. And mind you, we've been doing this weekly since 2005, so on our site we have a metric scad of connections to all kinds of folks doing world healing work. And when you visit, it would be nice if you posted a comment on this show so I can listen to you for once. You can also support us by clicking on Donate, and right now there is an extra incentive available to those who donate at the activist rate or higher. CDs from Ann Reed and Arthur Davenport. But especially, we hope you'll support your local community radio station, like the 45 stations nationwide that carry our programs. If we're going to change the world, and there's certainly a lot that needs changing, we're going to have to work together, and we're going to have to get the word out. So please support your community radio station and Northern Spirit Radio. But now, back to Don and Liam and their efforts to change the world with Bible Bash. Over to you, Don. Thank you, Mark. And thank you for listening again to another conversation from Bible Bash. If you're just now joining us, at the beginning of this excerpt, Liam and I will introduce ourselves and you'll know a little bit more about who you're listening to. But first, I have to tell you, I'm really excited about the timing of this episode. It was almost exactly a year ago that we recorded it. And the way I know that is that right now, as you're hearing this, after the last couple of days of rain, I have briars full of beautiful, luscious blackberries. Well, trust me, it'll make sense in a second. Thanks again for listening to another Bible Bash. Let's get started. I'm Don Durham, a hermit-like mendicant farmer and cantankerous curmudgeon. Dog and I live on a small farm in North Carolina where I grow food to give away. And I am Liam Hooper, a trans, queerish, practical Jewish mystic and theological activist living in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I'm just down the road from Don, but we're not sitting in the same place this week. Hi, Liam. Yeah, other life demands kept us from recording in the same place today. But it's still good to see you. I hope you're well. It's good to see you, too. I hope you're well. I'm doing all right. Doing all right. Yeah, I have blackberries that are... Oh, man. I think maybe they're about two or three days away from being ready to harvest. And... And then I don't know if it's going to be pies or other blackberry-laden treats, but I'm looking forward to it. That's marvelous. I'm waiting on my three or four plants of Roma tomatoes to set. They're all nice and green and firm and fat, and I'm waiting for them to ripen up a little bit. Yeah. Oh, that's going to be good. It'll be pretty exciting. I'm excited. I can't think of a recipe that would put the romas and the blackberries together, so I think I'm going to stick with a blackberry pie and let you do what you do with your tomatoes. I suspect it won't be me doing it. I suspect it will be my enormously talented spouse who will make amazing sauces out of the romas. When the other tomatoes are ready, though, I'll be cutting those up with some Duke's mayonnaise and some white bread and some salt and pepper. Well, I still owe you a pumpkin pie. We'll add a blueberry pie to the list. That sounds great. I love blueberries. 
Today, however, I'm going to talk yes. to you about last week's Torah portion. The Parsha from, from last week was actually Balak, or Balak. I'm not sure how Southern Christians actually say that, because I always just hear them talk about Balaam. Balaam. I'm sure I don't want to be the poster child, so I'm just going to not say anything. So I actually want to talk about um, the story of Balak and <laughs> Balaam. We'll just go with Balaam. <laughs> that sounded yeah. like bollocks, um, but this is not an English podcast, so I don't know what No, it is not. We're not talking about bollocks. <laughs> okay, okay. No yeah. bollocks here. All right. All right. Okay, okay. So yeah. for those who do not know this story, you can find it in Numbers 22 and 23. We're going to focus mostly on 22 today with a real focus on chapter 22, verses 21 through 35. So I'm going to give you just a as quick as possible background on what's going on here. Balak is the king of Moab, and he's all freaked out about the Israelites, right? Like he's he's seen what they've done with folks who have tried to suppress or oppress them. And he's, you know, he's a little freaked out about them. So he's decided that there's also too many of them for him to just go try to wipe them out in battle. So he calls his advisors together and he tells them that they need to send messengers to Balaam, right? This sort of well-known seer, shaman kind of guy. He wants the messengers to go to Balaam and entice him to curse the Israelites, lay some really bad, bad curse on them so that he doesn't even have to worry about them rising up against him. So the messengers go, they tell Balaam what Balak wants, and he's like, no, I can't do that. You know, I have to consult God, and God says, no, don't, don't go do that. Those are my people. So they go back, they tell the king, the king sends him back again with more stuff, more ways to entice him. Balaam talks to God again, and God says, you know what? We can see here in the story that God understands this is not going to stop until yeah. he goes. Yeah. Like, people tend to think God's kind of pissed off at Balaam after he tells him to go, and then he goes. But I don't think that's what's going on. I think God understands there's a process here. So God says, go. When a parent hears a child say why the third time, they know they're going to hear it an eighth or ninth time. It's like God is just experienced in this. Path. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, God knows the king isn't going to give up till something happens. This is going to go on, right? So he exactly. tells Balaam to go. But only say and do what I tell you to say and do, which, you know, is what you would expect. So they go off on the road. Balaam has this donkey. You can sort of see visions of Shrek coming or, or something similar, right? He has his donkey, saddles up his donkey. He goes, he goes riding down to meet the king of Moab. Suddenly, the donkey stops and starts wandering off into the fields. Now, Balaam can't see what the donkey can see. And what we as the reader know is the donkey can see that God has sent an angel, sword drawn, to stop them. God's got something going on here. Now, this is where people think God is mad. And the text kind of says, you know, he's incensed about it. But I think he's incensed with the king, not with Balaam. And the whole thing is just getting under God's skin, so to speak. Right. So here's the bad part, though. Balaam beats the donkey because he can't see what the donkey can see. So he beats the donkey. They get back on the road. And this happens again. 
he beats the donkey again. So the second time, he sort of pushes him up against the wall. The third time, the donkey just lays down in the road. He's not going any farther. Each time, Balaam beats the donkey. And finally, on this third time, God opens the mouth of the donkey. And we find the donkey saying, in verse 28, Then the Lord opened the ass's mouth, and she, it's a female ass, which I find sort of some poetic justice. But anyway, she says to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have beaten me these three times? And Balaam said to the ass, You have made a mockery of me. If I had a sword with me, I'd kill you. And the ass said to Balaam, Look, I am the ass that you have been riding all along until this day. Have I been in the habit of doing thus to you? In other words, the donkey saying, look, we've been trusted companions all this time. You have ridden me. I've never led you astray. Why now are you beating me when I'm trying to tell you something? The story goes on. Obviously, Balaam goes. He meets with the king. He says all the things that um, God tells him to say. And instead of cursing the Israelites, instead of cursing the Jews, he blesses them repeatedly. A few times. And the king is like, what are you doing? So it's like the reverse of the donkey situation, if you're with me on that. Yeah. It all works out. The Jews are blessed, not cursed. Balaam goes on his way. That's the end of that. But what I want us to focus on is a couple of things that strike me about this story. One, I think it's a perfect example of the folly of the way Christendom in particular has enculturated us, all of us, to read texts, right? We're supposed to, because we have this relationship with our own personal Jesus, anytime we come in contact with the text, we're supposed to find ourselves in there. Right. It's all about us and our individual things, never about our culture or the world or our community or our place and community. It's always about us. And nobody, ain't nobody ever wants to see themselves as belong. Right. People's right. always the, the Jews being put upon, someone's trying to curse them, or they're Balak trying to get something done, you know, and take care of himself, protect himself. We're just defending ourselves, right? But ain't nobody ever belong the guy who beats the donkey when the donkey's trying to tell him something. And I'm thinking this story could call us if we were to read it as such, give us a little reminder that now and then we need to check our own stuff. You know, now and then we need to be willing to admit when we were wrong, because here's what happens. Once Balaam can hear the donkey and the donkey's talk, and then God opens Balaam's eyes. So God opens the donkey's mouth, opens Balaam's eyes. And what do you think Balaam sees? Sees the angel with the sword and they have some words back and forth. And the angel says, look, we're trying to tell you something here. And if I was going to kill anybody and spare anybody, I'd kill you and spare the donkey. Right? Because the donkey had eyes to see and could see. And Balaam says, this is beautiful, right? Balaam says, I erred because I did not know that you were standing in my way. If you disapprove, I will turn back. So Balaam does two things. He admits he didn't know, 
He made assumptions based from his unknowing without recognizing he was doing that. Therefore, he wasn't curious. And he didn't see what was right in front of him. But then he, then he repents a little bit, right? He says, okay, if what I'm doing is not good, I'll stop doing it. Yeah. Right? I'll do yeah. something else. And this is the, our hint. Maybe we need to be willing to admit when we're belong. But I'd really ask the trans guy in the conversation, yeah. like to talk about what it's like to be the donkey. <laughs> Cause. Okay. Okay, really? One thing my people know something about, and it's not just my people, right? We can extrapolate this to all kinds of people in our culture right now and throughout history. There are times when it sucks to be the donkey, to be the person who sees what's in the road, what's before us, right? What's coming down the pike and go through all kinds of contortions and, and behavior and alarm raising to try to tell folks, look, there's something in the path here. The way we're going is wrong. We need to turn back. This is not right and get beaten for it over and over and over. Wow, that's powerful. Right? Hence the other reason why we need to be willing to see when we're Balaam. We need to be willing to see when we're beating the messenger. And the messenger matters. So that's my thought about that. I mean, it's this crazy little story. And you you almost wonder, why is it here in the middle of, you know, numbers, right? And there are lots of theories about that. It's got contradictions. It's clearly cobbled together from three or four different stories. And it was clearly existent already. But it has this marvelous theological context, right? Which is what we do matters, God is interested in what we do. That's so brilliantly spot on. The whole, you're, I mean, you're spot well, I don't on. Know it, about that, but thank you. Well, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I had, a, I was thinking a particular thought, but I didn't say it out loud. You're particularly spot on in your observation of how we never find our absence in the text, or we never find our. It seems we never find ourselves as anything other than the the redeemed hero of the text. The the good guy or the put upon, right? right? Yeah. I I think the closest I ever got to hearing the preachers I grew up hearing, when they would talk about this text, more than likely the purpose of the donkey was to say to the congregation, don't be the guy who's dumber than a donkey. You know? Yeah, it's always got that weird. Like, yeah, that's like, the way I heard it. How blind and unfaithful do you have to be for a donkey to get it better right than you have? Don't be that dude. Like that was generally the way that got talked about. Interestingly, just in the last couple of days, I, I saw a rather robust conversation online about a meme that somebody had sent around naming this phenomenon as Disney princess theology. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I saw that too. Yeah. Yes. Where, where we, we see ourselves in that, in that central, you know, centered in the story as the hero of the narrative and nobody ever wants to be the empire. Nobody ever wants to be the dude. That's what I mean when I say you're spot on the donkey beater. Yeah. Well, that, you know, it reminds me too, sort of, 
another funny spin on that is, yeah. you know, people who believe in reincarnation wasn't ever Joe Schmo down the road, right? They were all <laughs> right, exactly. princes and princesses yes. or, yeah. you know, tribal chiefs or, you know, like nobody, and, <laughs> nobody and was regular heard, dude. I've never heard anybody explain the story of why they got demoted from their previous glory. Yeah, like, <laughs> yeah no one. You know, isn't oh, the point a prince now? What you right? Do? Exactly. Isn't the point to evolve upward and on? You know, it's like so. How'd you get from there to here? I've never heard that story. Yeah, you know, I've been thinking a lot about the last, like, just the last year. So we were talking when we were recording your other episode about how 2021 is kind of like. 2020 yeah, B, yeah. it's like the B side, <laughs> you know, right, right, right. before 2020, people had told us another epidemic's coming, another pandemic's coming. We need to be prepared. We even had things in place for that. And then somebody came along, decided that we didn't need all that. We've been talking about Black Lives Matter. Donkey. Yes. And we've been talking about Black Lives Matter for several hundred years. Hard for the last 60 to 80. People don't want to hear that. We've been talking about indigenous rights and the wisdom of the people who lived on this land and understood it and had it taken from them. We've been talking about gender and sex and sexuality for thousands of years, literally. We've been talking about how it's wrong to enslave people for thousands of years. You might recall that numbers, the, the books preceding that, deal with some issues about enslaving people. We've been talking about this stuff. The angel been in the road, and the donkey's been trying to tell us things for a long, long time. And everybody, you know, in power wants to keep beating the donkey. Well, at some point, the angel draws its sword. Wow. No, that's good. Or as the old folks say, the chickens come home to roost. Indeed, they do. (laughs) (laughs) You know, really, though, I I, I do think a lot of folk are tired of being beaten. My silence on this is because my head is spinning with too daggum many examples to try to relate. Exactly. It's too many. Yeah. Too many yeah. for too long, and it doesn't need to be. It needs to stop. And none of them are mine to hold up and tell the story of, but they're still overwhelming in their, in, in the endlessness of the list. Yeah. And if nothing else, you know, even if we can't, as a, as a collective in the dominant culture, if we can't learn to listen, we got to at least learn yeah. the very first thing to learn as we're trying to learn to listen, is to stop beating the donkey. (laughs) Stop seeing everybody who's pointing to the trouble in the road as the donkey, as less than, as not quite human, as not sufficient enough to be treated well, right, Right. and beating it. The beatings have to stop. Wow. We're never going to learn to listen until we stop devaluing the person saying there's trouble around the bend. Uh, you and I both gravitate back to Wendell Berry every now and then, and, and I didn't bring Wendell today for my other text, but you have reminded Who is your me. other text today? Because we need to move on to that. I know. We'll get yeah. to that. I'll, I'll go to that next. But you've reminded me of a of a 
a thing that Wendell Berry writes in some of his later writing, where it's just a, a line that says, uh, give your approval to everything you don't understand. Just, you yeah. know, as a default. So, okay, my other text, Liam, I have a confession to make. I have never watched regularly American Idol, completely outside my experience. I fell in a hole recently because I've had two friends who participated in that process. One made it through all the way to the finals. The other didn't make it through. But I was trying to watch their stuff and fell into a really long American Idol YouTube hole. And and in my early <laughs> 50s, I don't know if I'm excited or embarrassed to discover that I'm a Katie Cat. I'm a Katie Perry Ooh. fan. I did not know this. This is new information for me, but I found it out. I can tell you what it is, though, and I think it's reflected in the in the text that I want to read. You know, they've got all those different shows where somebody tries to get famous, and the judges do their thing. Simon Cowell proved that there's a market for mean, that, that you know, the audience will buy mean judges. Mm-hmm. I don't know and what torture. Yeah, people will. Yeah, what's it? Naked and afraid? Just nonsense and all. There's yeah, there's sadistic stuff out there. Anyway, so what's part of what struck me as I fell down this American? Now I don't know. I didn't go all the way back to the beginning. I was just. But what I observed about the current collection of judges is, even though it's proven that the market will respond favorably to mean, they have not chosen to go that route. What I observed, and I I thought I saw it particularly in uh, Katy Perry, is a pronounced generosity with the way they interact with those folks who are standing there scared and vulnerable in front of them. And it's just a refreshing thing to see. In the process of observing that dynamic over and over, I mean, you sort of expect that from an elder like Lionel Richie. But Katy Perry, she's a sassy young pop star she could have come in there and played it with a lot more attitude, and I think the audience would have bought it. She chose not to do that. So I have, yeah. become a, I have officially become a Katy Perry fan. So I'm going to share uh, the lyrics of one of the songs that she came out with uh, during 2020. And uh, it's called It's Not the End of the World. Before the B-side, it's the A-side. <laughs> exactly. It's not, none of those are old enough to be B-sides yet. So anyway, okay. It's not the end of the world. No, not the end of the world. Throw on your fancy attire. Fear's in the fire. Don't lose hope. It's no funeral we're attending. Actually, just the beginning. Throw on your fancy attire, fears in the fire, don't lose hope. It's not the end of the, no, not the end of the world. You can catch a star if the sky is falling down. There's a golden lining up in every single cloud. You can take a frown, turn it all the way around, all the way around. All all the way around. A fortune teller told me the power's in your mind. You might see a cliff, but I see a way to fly. 
flipping off the flop now. I just enjoy the ride. Just enjoy the world. Yeah. I just enjoy the ride. What a time to be alive. Don't don't say goodbye. It's not the end of the world. No, it's not the end of the world. Throw on your fancy attire. Fears in the fire. Don't lose hope. It's no funeral we're attending. Actually, it's just the beginning. Throw on your fancy attire. Fears in the fire. Don't lose hope. Thank you, Don. Well, thanks, Miss Perry. Thank you, Liam. And thank you for listening. Liam and I don't take your time lightly. We really appreciate the opportunity to visit with you through Northern Spirit Radio. If you're hearing these Bible Bash conversations for the first time on Northern Spirit, you can also hear them in the form of a podcast. You could go back and listen to all of the old episodes where Liam and Peterson started things off, or you can listen to the newer stuff. All of that is at BibleBashPodcast.com if you're interested in knowing more. But for right now, thanks again for spending time with us. We hope you were encouraged or challenged in some helpful way. And we look forward to being able to visit with you again soon on Northern Spirit Radio. We hope the rest of your day goes about as well as you can stand. And Mark, thank you again for letting us visit with all of your friends here at Northern Spirit Radio. As always, we look forward to coming back again. You're welcome, Don. And we will look forward to having you guest host here on Spirit in Action before long. I've got great gratitude for the work and lives you and Liam have given yourselves to. And I hope that our Spirit in Action listeners have benefited as much as I do from the doors you open to a wider, more loving world. Folks, I'll be back next week to host myself, and we'll see you then for Spirit in Action. The theme music for this program is Turning of the World, performed by Sarah Thompson. Check out all things Spirit in Action on northernspiritradio.org. Guests, links, stations, and a place for your feedback, suggestions, and support. Thanks for listening. I'm Mark Helpsmeet, and I hope you find deep roots to support you to grow steadily toward the light. This is Spirit in Action. With every voice, with every song, we will move this world along, and our lives will feel the echo.